0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, happy summer everybody. Really? After everything like, like, there we go. The summer is here. It's a time to rest, hopefully, and reflect and have some family time, go to the cottage if you have access to one and Break open a cold, nice juice box with your family. As we get ready to dive into the summer, uh, we here at C4 still realize something, that though we're going to enjoy this summer, what is coming this coming year is actually quite profound, profound. Next year, we as a church, like we have announced, are about to dive into the global alpha campaign across the whole of the GTA, where now hundreds, actually thousands of people are mobilizing. Churches en masse are mobilizing to share the good news in a systematic way with the whole of Toronto in the coming months. Here in our own church, multiple alphas are being launched within our church, junior and senior high and young adults, and one here at Ajax, one in Port Perry, and in connect groups and business environments, and even with migrant workers that are working in our country for a period of time and then of course we've announced that the new uh, east site launch is happening early in 2018 and then we've talked about yes there we go the east people are excited and uh, we've talked about how we are going to be working closer with our local and global partners and actually sending teams not just here but around the world. As we look at this coming year of great significance, of great outreach, of great vision, I think we, if you are a Christian here this morning, know that we cannot do any of this with our own strength or our own power. We not only need God's permission and God's blessing, we need heaven-given supernatural power to accomplish things we cannot do. We cannot change anyone's heart. We cannot change anyone's destiny. We could definitely not lead the GTA to Jesus, but Jesus himself can do that. And as we come to this summer and we prepare ourselves for this coming year, we begin to realize that the power that we need, the gas we need in our tank, is only found in the act of prayer. And so this summer, as you just saw in the video, we are going to journey together as a family into areas of prayer we have not explored in a long time or not at all. We are going to ready ourselves as a church for the coming fall and the great moves we're about to do, but we're going to ready ourselves through the act of prayer so the right amount of power will be released to do impossible things for Jesus. Now, prayer, by the way, let me just define it because it's simple. It's just talking to God. It's communicating with God. It's conversation with God, but it's deeper than that. It is also an environment where we sit down and we listen to God. It is actually a place that God, if you know him through Jesus, will speak back to you, and it is also the guaranteed place of power. But then that brings us, as we begin the summer, to a very dangerous moment. If prayer is the place of power, and we need great power to accomplish impossible things, we actually might be in trouble. Two weeks ago, I was driving back, from the Muskokas to Ajax, and it was a beautiful, perfect spring-summer day. Uh, it was breezy, the wind was strong enough, and the heat was hot enough to keep the bugs down, which is always a gift in the north. Everything about the day was summer. The, the, the lake was glistening, and, and the coffee was good, and the birds were chirping, and there was no rainstorm that day, no flood anywhere. And I was just excited to be alive. It was a good spring-summer day, and I even was excited to drive back down two and a half hours from the north down here. And so I started my journey with excitement, with joy. It was in a good headspace. And as I began to drive, you already know what's about to happen. As I'm driving, there in front of me appears a truck, a truck that is going slower than I want it to go and I could not get behind it, beyond it, and so what happens? I begin to slow down, and this truck will not leave, and I continually am losing my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is easing out, and unholy things are happening, and so it seems like in eternity, all the goodness of the day is slipping away as this truck is going 70 and 100. I'm like, just move. For the love of God, move. Well, suddenly, I, God answered my prayer, I thought, because it, It moved on and I could turn. And so I turned, I'm like, oh good, I can get my day back. And as I turned, as I turned, there in front of me is a police officer. And so now, no, I didn't get pulled over. I'm good. No, no. And so now he's in front of me and now I have to drive slow. Now I was shocked by this. It's an OPP car, but it didn't look normal. It looked more like a tank. I'm like, are they transporting prisoners? Then I realized, no, it's actually the SWAT team. So I definitely didn't want to bypass them because they would SWAT me and I can't handle that because I'm not, you know, ready for jail and so i am slowed even to a slower pace and then the self control is really going and, and so i'm going and suddenly the opp officer and the truck moves i'm like oh thank you god i can get my day back and as he turns there in front of him is a cement truck i'm like are you joking me and it even got slower and finally he turned and then i hit construction and everything slowed down and then you know what happens when you want to get somewhere when you want to go somewhere Someone else is full of joy on a joyride and enjoying the day that you used to enjoy and they're going 20 and you want to go 100 and it was just done for me. Now, when I finally got home, I wasn't in the greatest of moods. And see, that little experience actually reflects many of our prayer lives here today. We are excited, and we want to pray, and we know God is good, and we sing songs about His goodness, and then when we begin to start praying, it's start and stop and frustration and boring. It takes forever, and there's always all these distractions and blockages, and so in the end, our prayer life, which starts so profound and so excited and so intentional, becomes weak, slowed, and troubled, and then we get so frustrated, we just give up. And yet I think I just said the place of power is prayer. And then some of you are going, actually two weeks ago, John, when you were speaking about guaranteed places of encounter, you actually said that the spiritual disciplines are the only ongoing place of transformation and hearing God post-conversion that is after you met God through Jesus. You actually taught us that holy habits are the only thing that keep our relationship healthy with God after we've said yes through Jesus alone. And then you said something even more intriguing and a little scary. You said that Jesus used spiritual disciplines to walk with the Father. So if I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and actually follow Christ, then I have to walk like Jesus did and share in his lifestyle. And you said that spiritual disciplines provide the ongoing dynamic experience and our static positional reality. You said they closed the holiness issue in the church. They give us a common script and experience in the area of spiritual growth. And then you said, John, that prayer is one of the most significant forms of spiritual discipline. So why does my prayer life feel like it's always behind a cement truck and I can't go anywhere? Where is the dynamic encounter you keep promising me And I never experienced. why does prayer feel so boring, so broken, so undisciplined, and always interrupted? Dallas Willard once wrote these simple words. He said, the open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that a vanishing small percentage of those talking about prayer and Bible reading are actually doing what they're talking about. Oh yeah, we as Christians, if you are one here today, believe that prayer brings life, check, guidance, yep, power, yep, healing, fellowship, a place of love, a place of comfort, a place of hearing what God wants us to do uniquely, and we all know it's important. It was actually um, Tim Keller in his new book on prayer, right on his back cover, who wrote these really profound words when he said, prayer, notice his language, is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. Uh, it's also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us many unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many things we most desire. It's the way we actually know God. It's the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in this life. We must learn to pray. We have to learn to pray. And we all look at that quotation. We go, yeah, amen to that. But when we read things like that, we feel profoundly defeated. We end up like the original 12 disciples who just simply said in Luke 11 to Jesus, well, it seems like a lot of other people are praying better than us, including John's disciples. Would you just teach us how to pray? But then it gets worse for lots of us because as we start doing Christian community and we're in connect groups and we're doing <coughs> what we're supposed to do, suddenly we bump into people that have spiritual gifts in the area of prayer, and then you even feel more defeated when you hear their story. You're like, Hey, how's your week? Oh, it's not so good. What's going on spiritually? Yeah, it's been bad. You know, I've only been praying two hours a day, and you're like, do you? What? Yeah, two hours a day, I usually pray for, and you're like, I just blessed the Swiss LA chicken, that's all I got in, and before I went to church, you know, like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's really bad. And then you start trying to talk to them about their experience, and some of them, I call them the list people, they like the phone book prayer people, they're just like, give me a list, I want the whole database, all 2,700 names, and I find great spiritual joy praying over your name, and you're like, who are you? You're the weird, that, ah, what? And you're like, Jesus is so close to me when I pray over names, you're like, I do not understand. And then you hang out with other people with spiritual gifts of prayer, and you're sitting over, you have an Indian food at their house, and you're cleaning the dishes, and they're like, doing them, they're like, mm. you're like, you okay? Do I need to dial that? No, nope. the Lord's just spoken to me. I need to pray for North Korea right now. No, no. And you're like, what is going on? I have no clue what's going on. They're calling heaven and fire and angels, and you're like, I just thought we were washing dead. And They're like, mm, we're done. Okay, let's go back. You're like, what just happened? And then you talk to other people with spiritual gifts of prayer and they talk about hearing God so clearly and being assigned to pray for a church or a pastor and they weep and they cry and they intercede and there's this whole thing and you sit back as a Christian and you say, well, I don't hear those things and I've never experienced that and and, and actually I've never heard God's voice like that. What is wrong with me? I want to pray, but it's boring. I want to pray, but I don't know what to say. I pray the same old things all the time. And the truth, of course, we all know is if it's not a spiritual gift, it always becomes a discipline. And all of those thoughts and all of those feelings and all of those questions now bring us to a place where we all need to arrive. How do we gather together as one family and learn to pray whether you're spiritually gifted that way or not? How do we learn to pray whether you're a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian for decades? How do you actually learn to pray no matter your style, your personality, your gender or your background. And the answer, by the way, that I'm about to give you this morning and that we're going to explore all summer is probably not where you expect me to go, because most of you just expect me to say, pray more and wag my finger at you. No, not at all. Could it be that your method is actually your biggest problem, not your own life? The old saying is, variety is the spice of life, and it's the same in prayer. Yet most of us don't even know how to break the rut, and we tend to pray about the same old things with the same old words over and over again with no response. And then, of course, we are living in North America. We are in the top 3 or 4% of the world economically, and what we take for granted, the rest of the world does not. And so we have all these resources, right? We have access to libraries and online things. Oh, here's the common book of prayer. The Anglicans can teach me. You know, there's Tim Keller's book, and there's Richard Foster's book. And, oh, if I want to experience God, I hang out with Henry Blackaby. And, oh, look at this. This is, like, literally a dictionary of prayers that I can pray. And we look at all these resources... And it's like actually having books on weight loss. We read lots of things, don't do anything, and we do not change. I love when one Southern Baptist uh, professor said this. He said, he said, you know, God has children all over the world, as diverse as people can be, from 9 to 99, some with low IQs and some with high IQs, some with no formal education, others with the highest levels of formal education. But most Christians are just ordinary folk, not primarily those the world would consider intellectual Or cultural elite. And so his point in this book that he was writing on prayer is that every single Christian on earth should have a powerful, real, authentic prayer life that is never based on their education, their intellect, and or their amount of resources. But as you keep reading the book, he hits this nail right on the head when he said these words, are you ready to say... Well, that's pretty tight logic, for if I, despite my education and my experience and all my Christian resources, don't seem capable of a meaningful, satisfying prayer life, then that necessarily implies that almost no Christian on earth can enjoy one either, since no follower of Jesus anywhere has as many helps for prayer like I do. Of course, you would never believe this, he writes, or say this. Instead, you're more likely to think, look, I don't know about anyone else. But I just know that when I pray, it's boring, so the problem must be with me. There's something actually wrong with my spiritual life. I'm at the center of the problem. In fact, now you've actually shown me all the advantages I have in comparison to Christians all over the world. I feel guiltier now than I ever did. I thought I was a failure in prayer beforehand, but apparently I'm even worse off than I thought. Go in peace. Enjoy your summer, right? But see, this author and I and many others have arrived at a very different place for the most part, you are not the problem. It's your method. See, how do you begin to overcome routine? The same things, praying the same words and the same thoughts. And the answer is this. You make a decision to start praying back Scripture. By the way, you can pray back any type of Scripture in the Bible, and the goal is to pray it, not interpret it. Let me give you an example. At every single wedding, there is a passage that is almost always read. Do you know what it is? Anyone want to yell it out? 1 Corinthians 13. It is the definition of biblical love. This is what God says love is. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice inspired by God and empowered by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13:14 Love is patient. It's kind. Agape love, it does not envy, it does not boast, it does not proud, it does not dishonor anyone, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now that is the definition of love, but you can pray this back so quickly. See, here's you can pray. Oh, God, I know that the Bible says that you say that we will be known by our love. So, since this is your will, here's my prayer. God, make me patient. By the way, I'm so tired of people in church saying, oh, don't ask God to make you patient. Ask him. This is his will. Love is patient. Love is kind. God, make me kind. Help me never to envy. Help me not to boast. Help me not to be proud. God, I don't want to dishonor anyone else ever. I don't want to be self-seeking. I don't want to be easily angered. I want to keep no record of wrongs. I don't want to delight in evil. I want to rejoice in sure truth. You help me trust, hope, and persevere and protect. In Jesus' name, amen. And let me tell you, you can't name and claim that God wants you to be rich till you're 90 or have a BMW. You can name and claim this because this is God's will. You want to name and claim something? Oh God, make me love like Jesus did. You pray that, he'll answer it. Love, joy, see how you can use the scriptures? Let me do another one, the 10 commandments. I've used it for years in my prayer life. You just pull out Exodus 20, I'm the Lord God who called you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's every single one of us. We, by Jesus Christ, because we are saved and we've trusted in Him, He has saved us from sin, death, and Satan. And what does the scripture say? It's so clear. He says, You know, number one, I'll just do you the summary. He says, You have no other gods before me. You don't make any images. You don't bow down to anything. You don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. You remember the Sabbath day. You keep it holy. You honor mom and dad. You don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't give false testimony, and you do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, ox or donkey, car, etc. Now you can pray that back to God, and God will hear you so clearly. Oh God, you are the God who's actually brought me out of Egypt, so Lord, here's what I pray. God, I don't want to have any other God before you. Hear my prayer. Oh God, by the way, I don't want to ever make an idol of something. Oh God, I don't want... See, you can pray this back. Lord, help me not to murder. Help me not to be angry. Help me not to commit adultery. Help me not to lie. Help me not to covet. Lord, I know that you want me to live a holy life. And so I'm going to pray the scriptures back to you. See, this is God's heart. You can pray back any part of scripture and ask God to form it within you or in your family or in our church. But you can actually use these very same scriptures and pray them in a very different direction. It's called the prayer of examine. This is when in prayer you ask God by his Holy Spirit to examine your motives and your life and tell and let him tell you the truth about yourself through the scripture. Psalm 139, many of you know it, reads like this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. You test me. You know my fearful, my anxious thoughts. You see if there's any offensive way in me, and you lead me in the way everlasting. Here's here's the problem with this. How do you do this? How does that actually happen since the Bible says our heart is deceptive, we're sinful, we're blind to our own blind spots, and much of the time we can't see our inner life right? How do you do this? Here's how you do it. You take the scriptures, and you pray them back to God, and you say, now, God, is this me? And why pray back the scriptures just versus praying? Because remember the nature of scripture. Remember what this book actually is. I love what the book of Hebrews says in chapter four. God's powerful word is sharper, is as sharp as a a surgeon's scalpel. It cuts through everything. Doubt, defense, it lays us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. I was praying through the Ten Commandments a few years ago as an exam saying, God, so not saying, oh, God, help me not to have idols. This is how you do this. You stop and say, Lord, God, do I have any idols? And you stop and you go silent and you listen. God, am I involved in murder? Because Jesus says, remember, murder is just not taking a life. Murder is if you are actually an anger at you're angry at someone, that's murder. And I came to the position of uh, the, the verse on, on stealing, And I said to God, oh God, uh, help me not to steal. Am I stealing? And I remember saying in my head, oh no, no, that's not my stuff. That's not my problem. I'm no no thief. I've never stolen in my life. And the Holy Spirit says you steal all the time. And I said, oh, that's got to be the devil or my own self because I just know that's not true. The Holy Spirit, oh no, John, you steal all the time. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you steal people's reputation when you talk about other leaders when they're not in the room. You are a theft of people's personality and their futures because of your words. And I was like on the ground. See, when we pray back the scriptures and we not only pray that God would form them in us, we actually stop as we pray through them and say, am I patient? Do I have a record of wrongs? And we say, Holy Spirit, come speak. Guess what he will do? He will speak. It was Richard Foster in his book on prayer that summarized, I think, a little prayer about examine when he said, precious Savior, why do I even fear your scrutiny? Yours is an examine of love. Still, I'm afraid, afraid of what might actually surface. Even so, I invite you to search me to my depths. So I may know myself and you in fuller measure. See, that's what Tim Keller was getting at when he said, prayer is the only place of full understanding. And the prayer of examine, by the way, if you start doing it in your life, as you use the scriptures and you go silent as you pray through them and ask the Lord to ask over each area, it will lead you to actually one of the most powerful places of freedom It will move you from the prayer of examine to the prayer of confession. I love the definition that comes from the Spiritual Formation Study Bible. Confession is sharing our deepest weaknesses and our deepest failures with God and with trusted others so we may enter into God's grace and mercy and experience his ready forgiveness and healing. See, remember when God confronts us, he never does it to humiliate us. He only humbles and heals us because he loves us because he loves us. Let me show you again how you can take a very familiar passage of scripture and just pray it back. Acts chapter 2 is the most famous and fundamental description of common faithfulness that is what every single local church must look like, no matter its denomination or its cultural expression. This is what the first church looked like, and it is the standard and the blueprint by pattern for every church. It doesn't matter if it's a high Anglican church that uses crosses and bells and smells or everyone's speaking in tongues or none of that's happening or it's liturgical or not no, irrelevant. This is what the church is called to look like. They devoted themselves. You know this, many of you, to the apostles' teaching, right, and to fellowship, The breaking of bread and prayer, everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs being done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet (coughs) together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you've been in this church for months or years, you've heard multiple sermons on this. This is what drives us. This is, this is the key to what we are. This is what we're called to do. And it, it is a statement of fact historically of what the original church, but see, you can pray this. Every single person in this church can open Acts 2 and pray that Acts 2 will happen at C4 because by the way, God's will as Acts 2 happens here. You can say, oh God, I pray for the teaching across our church. I pray it would be biblical and right and strong and real and authentic and loving and holy. Oh, God, I pray for the fellowship. There's 2,700 people in this church, and there's a lot of personalities, and I know I've got my own stuff. So actually, Lord, could you help us have real fellowship in this church? Oh, God, I pray over the breaking of bread. I pray every time we take communion as a church, Jesus, you would meet us and people would be changed. God, teach this church to pray. Actually, God, I actually pray that you would bring awe across this church in such a way that you would start doing signs and wonders. I pray for generosity that every person in this church would start giving in a way they've never done before and become very radical, even giving up boats and and cottages and land if needed. If you ask for the sake of the poor and for the sake of what God's doing among us, oh, oh God, I pray for our temple gatherings, our large worship services. I pray for Chris and his whole team. Lead them profoundly, lead us when we gather. Lord, Lord I, I pray for Lori and her team as they lead us in our home chur- churches, our, our our connect groups, our, our right our small gather. Oh God, would you show up in my connect group? And then you pray through the names. Oh, oh Lord, give us favor, not just with each other. I actually pray for something crazy. I pray that Christians at C4 and other Christians in Durham would have favor with politicians and favor with friends and neighbors and even enemies. And you would supernaturally give us, actually God, I pray you would start adding to our number, daily those who are being saved amen god will answer that prayer because it is god's will for our church i love it It was da carson once who said christians just setting out on a path of prayer sometimes pray everything they can think about they glance at their watches and discover it's been three or four minutes and they experience great the experience sometimes generates feelings of defeat discouragement actually despair But a great way to overcome this problem is to start praying through biblical passages. By the way, why does this matter? Because when you pray out of the Bible, your prayers will be more God-focused. When you pray out of the Bible, there'll be better informed prayers. When you start praying out of the scriptures, you will begin to grow in your own biblical understanding if you're a Christian or if you're a seeker. If you start actually praying through the scriptures, uh, you'll realize something. The scriptures are way more redeemed and godly than our own thoughts and our own wants and our own feelings. Our, Our thoughts and feelings count, actually. We're good with those, they're needed and they need to be brought to the table. But see, we need to drink from a deeper, cleaner, more refreshing well than we naturally have on the inside of us, and it's right here. It's the Scriptures. Oh, Oh, there's more. Yes, you can take any Scripture and start praying it back to God, but then we realize that in the Bible, there are actually multiple expressions of prayer in the pages of Scripture God has given us ancient prayers we get to pray back. And so Moses and Joshua and Isaiah and Hannah and Samson, Nehemiah, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Paul, just to name a few, have actually written down spirit-given, spirit-inspired prayers. And these prayers in the Bible are gifts to every single one of us. Why? Because they're perfect prayers. And they're perfect songs. They give us the words and the images and the ideas we need to express back to God If you read them carefully, and I hope you do, you'll begin to see that they give you permission for real faith. No no Ken and Barbie fakeness. Real, real, authentic, authentic faith, not plastic. All the emotions, all the life situations are found in these prayers. They're open, they're dynamic, they're raw, they're honest, they're full of love and joy and anger and sadness and brokenness and screaming and singing. The highest highs and the lowest lows and everything in the middle. These prayers are important because they teach a church how to pray, but here's the real thing. They're part of God's Word. And and what is God's Word by nature? 2 Timothy 3.16, right? For all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, so the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, here's the thing. When you, when I, when we start praying back the prayers in the Bible, we will be taught and rebuked and corrected and trained so we'll be equipped. In our desires, in our wants, in our uncertainty, in our joy, in our sadness, in our normal, in our boredom, in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our good times, in our routines, here's what we need to recover this summer. People who've long, long now passed have already walked with God along all the roads and valleys and mountains we will walk on. God has already gone ahead of us. He has not left us unaided. We are not alone. We are not left speechless. We have prayers of experience given to us as gifts. And all of life's roads already have been well-traveled. The path is old and worn and well-used. And the prayers in the Bible are God's holy words, God's perfect words. This is the image I always have in my mind. When someone opens the scriptures and prays back, the promises or prayers in the scriptures with right motive and right understanding. It's like God's ear draws closer to the earth. Now, why do we need these prayers? Well, here's one of the biggest reasons that is rarely talked about in church. Every single human being on earth will experience tragedy. We don't like talking about it, but it's true. Great tragedy. Some of us will lose our jobs. Some of us will get sick. Some of us will have sudden death all around us or betrayal. Many people within the sound of my voice have experienced sexual, emotional, or physical abuse or brokenness. And when we are struck dumb by tragedy, we don't know what to say. And that is when the prayers of Scripture become such gifts to us. Because we are given the words that we cannot form in our own brokenness to speak back to God. Here's the other thing we need to be very honest about as we begin this journey of prayer together. Our personalities in this church and in the human race are so vastly different. Some of you are so good on your feet and you can think like this and you you just, you speak so well, but many, many other people who are just as smart and they're just not good on their feet and they want to know what to say and so they would prefer some pre-written prayers because it helps them express right things. Can I just say this as a side note? This is sort of like, I'll be on my soapbox only for like two minutes on this, less than two minutes, maybe a minute. In churches like ours, I love our church, I'm committed to our church, we're assigned to this church, I love what God is doing here, and we as a church are not that liturgical. That means that we, our services, though we have a liturgy, we don't tend to use a lot of pre-written prayers, and, and, like an Anglican church would, or a Roman Catholic church. But let me say, for we who are more apparently free-flowing, don't ever say that pre-written prayers are religious or dead or broken, or ritualistic. We have 2,000 years of church history where people wrote prayers down to help other people pray well, and we have the scriptures. And by the way, we worship a very liturgical God. Just read your Old Testament. Many people need pre-written stuff. You're not more spiritual if you can say something in the moment. Prayer is authentic if it's from the heart. Were you with us two summers ago? We spent the whole summer intentionally going through the book of Psalms. That is actually a whole book of prayers given to us. I said these words, I don't know if you remember them. How how does one walk with God in every season of life? Every experience, every moment, from boring to epic to the darkest place you can go. The Psalms, I said, gives us a framework and the words and the stuff we need. Never forget, as Christians, we're not called, nor are we allowed to actually escape life and live above it, nor are we allowed to be owned by life and domineered and live underneath it. We, as Christians, with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the promises of God and the community of God, we walk right through life. And the book of of Psalms is one of the greatest prayer gifts we have as a church. I said two years ago, you could call it the book of mood swings. Do you remember that? I love when another person said, one day when you're reading the Psalms, you feel like drinking champagne, and the next day you feel like drinking cyanide. It's poetry, kids, not logic. Enjoy the ride. The book of Psalms is like a roller coaster, a spiritual journey. It's the record, the catalog, the journey of all the emotions and encounters that the people of God have had with God while they walk with God in this life. It is a thousand years of prayers. It allows us to express everything we're going to experience in a lifetime. And like I just said, it took a thousand years to write and compile and sort. Some of the oldest psalms ever written are done by Moses. Others are written by others during the Ezra and Nehemiah time, the second exile. A thousand years of transmission, and they're compiled into this amazing book. A hundred and fifty prayers, a hundred and fifty songs, a hundred and fifty poems, 43,000 words, 2,000 verses, God decided to take a 1,000 years to give us this profound gift that allows us to pray back every emotion and every experience we will have. But the Psalms are not the only prayers in the Bible. Actually, there are so many more If you go through the scriptures, like I said, Moses, and you have Samson and Hannah, there are amazing experiences of prayer. But as we saw in the video this summer, we are going to focus on the prayers of Paul. Paul wrote prayers and wrote some of the most amazing prayers in the whole Bible. They can be prayed personally. They can be prayed over your family. They can definitely be prayed over our church or any other church you pray for. They'll allow us to grow in faith, grow in our prayer life, they'll help us prepare, and actually we will see a great empowerment take place across us as we prepare for the coming year that God has assigned us to reach out in ways we have not in such a long time. Now, Paul prayed seven different prayers. The first is found in First Thessalonians 3. Another one is Second Thessalonians 1. Colossians 1, Philippians 1, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 3 and Romans 15. Some of them are very short, some of them are long, but they are all power-punching prayers. And at the end of the summer, I have a good friend of mine named Sundar Krishna coming, and what he's going to do is he's going to help our whole church build a plan after we've learned all summer long. Not only is he coming, I've decided that this summer, we're also going to invite pastors from across the GTA and actually around the world to come speak to us from multiple perspectives, to give us very different church perspectives on these prayers. So from a global perspective, we will dive into Paul's prayer life and see our prayer life transformed and deepened and strengthened. Now, some of you have just become Christians. You've literally just crossed the line of faith in the last few months, and this is going to be some of the earliest stuff you get in your Christian life, and it will form you for the rest of your life. It's a profound gift. Many of you are actually have been Christians for a very long time, And if we did a survey on your prayer life many of us would say we have lots of problems and questions and struggles and I want to encourage you that this summer is a profound gift to us as a church because we are going to see God if we allow Him break ruts and routines and misconceptions and actually see confidence and freedom and training and power be released throughout our church through the act of prayer as we learn to use and handle the scriptures through prayer. So you say, Well, I'm going to be at the cottage all summer. No problem. We'll see you online. But for today, As we begin this series, let me just end here. No matter what part of the Bible you choose to start praying out of, here's why praying back the scriptures will be encouraging to you, stretching, empowering, and freeing. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here today, or you have the title Christian but you don't follow, you can do this too. I guarantee you my boss will talk to you also. There are real benefits and real freedom praying through the scriptures. The more you pray to the Bible, the more you're going to be helped in actually praying. You're like, John, you just said that. No, I actually mean length. You will begin to pray longer than you ever have before. Second, your mind will not wander as much. Third, God's thoughts and God's will and God's desires will actually become way more at the center of your prayer life. The Bible is going to give you words you don't have. And here's a really important, amazing thing. You are going to begin to start praying over things you tend to never pray over. See, when you start praying out of the Bible, it starts moving every one of us beyond our personality, our biases, our view on politics, our background, our wants, our ideas, or our desires. When you start praying back scriptures, suddenly God's thoughts and God's wills and God's view are so much more at the center of your prayer life. At the same time, you'll be given new words to pray over the things you've been praying over for years, but the new words will actually break your old boring routine. Here's one of the most amazing things that's going to happen to many of you if you choose to join us in this journey. The more you begin to pray to the scriptures, the more you will begin to see the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your walk. You will start praying through the scriptures and you will suddenly find yourself saying things like, oh my goodness, God, that was the very thing or the exact thing I needed to hear or that's the very thing I was about to pray over and you just gave me a verse for that or you're suddenly gonna hear the Spirit of God through the Scripture say, actually, that's your problem or actually, I have freed you from this. Also, praying out of the Bible is incredibly flexible. It can be done in a moment or over a long period of time. Much of the time when I use the Lord's Prayer, I will expand it out, but sometimes when I'm on the move and I don't have time, I just pray it. But in the end, here's what I promised you. And I rarely use the word promise from a pulpit because most pastors overpromise and under Biblically informed, spirit-empowered confidence will grow across this church. And the verse I'm about to read below will become real for you. And it will become reality for our church. And it reads like this, 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he knows, and if we know that he hears us, whatever he asks, we know that we have what we have asked of him. This is not just metaphor or vain promise. This is a guaranteed promise of God. And so would you stand with me as we begin this journey this summer And let me pray over you as we prepare to respond here for all of you up in Port Perry in the high school today. And not only that, for all of you watching and listening online, PEI and around the world. Let's just take a moment to do this. Number one, God, thank you that you hear us and thank you we get to talk to you. Billions of people don't know you today. And it's a real gift. But more important, here's what we pray. Holy Spirit, As the original disciples asked Jesus, we ask you, teach us to pray. And deeper than that, here's what we pray. God, begin to break discouragement, failure, defeat, and misunderstanding in our prayer lives in Jesus' name. May this church now be led to a holy place of prayer through the use of your scriptures. Two other requests we have. Holy Spirit, would you begin to very strongly show up across our church, to multiple people, people in their 80s who have struggled with their prayer life, their whole Christian walk, people who have just become Christians, seekers and skeptics who are going to read the Bible and aren't even sure they believe, begin to show up and speak and lead us in holy prayer. And also, we just pray in Jesus' name these things. And actually, it's a command. Satan and our own hearts cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit. In those environments. It is forbidden in the name of Jesus. We only ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us to your love. <laughs> lead us to your heart. Lead us to the place of prayer, no matter our personality or background. Begin to stir prayer, and out of prayer, begin to empower us, and in faith, prepare us for the great task we have ahead of us this coming year. All glory to God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who is forever praised. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.